Hello and welcome to the Wingnet Travel Podcast with me, James Hammond. Personally, I have been to 50 countries. I've met so many people in my travels that I want to bring them on this podcast and get their story on record. I have plenty of tips and stories to share with you as well. Are you a backpacker or a traveller or gap year student or simply someone who loves to travel? Then this is the podcast for you. Throughout the weeks and months, you'll get many guests and solo episodes where I try to cover all range of subjects within travel. This is a casual and informative travel podcast to inspire you to travel in the future. Do you fancy some bonus content with this episode? Then fear not. If you start to my Patreon today, by going on to www.patreon.com forward slash travel podcast, then you'll find these extra features every week for Monday and Friday's episode. One bonus episode every month, some ad-free content, some early access to episodes, the exclusive added travel must-have feature on every episode, patron shout-out, some ad hoc bonus episodes, you'll get a copy of my digital travel planner which is available on Etsy and you'll get my monthly Winging It Travel podcast magazine. If this takes your fancy, you can sign up for £4, $7.50 Canadian, $6 US a month and I really thank you for supporting the podcast. Hope you enjoy the podcast, thanks for listening and supporting this and I'll see you soon. Cheers James. Let's get into the episode. So hello and welcome to this week's episode where I am joined again by Rachel Fox. By popular demand on social media, Rachel is back for the hundredth time and she has some bombshells to drop. We're going to cover her recent trip to the Cook Islands, maybe a bit of travel privilege, travel sustainability, uh, why we haven't got our joint podcast off the ground yet and anything else that comes to mind. Rachel, welcome back. How are you doing? Hi, thank you. Thanks for for having me again. (laughs) No worries. It's been a while. So what's going on? Not a whole lot. We are in the absolute depths of winter here in New Zealand. Um, Very, very cold, wet winter. But we can actually travel now. I feel like this might be the first time I've spoke to you with borders open. New Zealand has has rejoined the rest of the world. Do you remember when we last spoke? No. Okay. It was Christmas... Eve Eve or Eve 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 I don't know one of those and I was desperate for a guest because I had nothing on on the go so rang you up said hey look need a guest and you jumped on yeah that would have been I think I don't think borders were open I think we were still still the little bubble um that's December crikey well welcome back to the world and you went to Cook Islands didn't you we did we went on our first international trip yeah outside of new zealand um since 2018 wow yeah long because yeah we went away quite a bit in 2018 i suppose like most of the world we had lots of plans and lots of flights booked for 2020 and um this has been the first opportunity we've had to leave new zealand since then right yeah and how was it um, I had, I don't really, I always kind of prided my, no, I was going to tell you about our journey there. Okay. I had always prided myself on being good at logistically traveling. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like good booking flights, yeah. good at finding a good deal, like, you know, and I was so unbelievably out of practice and I don't know what happened, but I cocked up our flights so badly so you can't fly direct to the Cooks from Wellington yet. You have to go via okay. Auckland. Auckland, yeah. I don't know. Did you have to do that? Yeah. Or did you? 
Uh, yeah. So maybe that's always been a thing. But for some reason, I don't know why I did it. There must have been logic or reasoning somewhere. But I didn't buy a direct, like I didn't buy it as one flight or like one package. Do you know what I mean? Like, okay. Like I didn't buy the flight Wellington to the Cook Islands. And then, you know, like you go to the like Wellington Airport and then your luggage is like, they deal with all of it, right? If you yeah. do it that way. For some reason, I booked it as two separate flights. Right. And I don't know why I did that. I cannot remember why. But a flight, I like, and then I sort of forgot about all of the stuff that you have to do when you travel internationally. <laughs> like, that it's not... Because for, for people that haven't been to New Zealand, like traveling regionally around New Zealand, you can rock up rock up at the airport 30 minutes before your flight mm. and still check your luggage in. Like, you know, it's so easy. And I kind of forgot that that wouldn't be the case. Um, and so I hadn't left a great deal of time between the flights anyway. But our flight out of Wellington was delayed. We got to Auckland and Auckland terminal, like international terminal is different from Auckland domestic. Mm get our luggage off the plane run over to the other side and recheck it in and we made the cut off for the flight no word of a lie say the cut off was 8 30 in the morning we checked our bag in at 8 27 <laughs> <laughs> and like i knew it was bad because Aaron was worried. Right. Okay. <laughs> and I was crying. Aaron like ran over to the like was we're waiting for the bags to come off the Wellington flight. Mm. I was just standing at the baggage reclaim crying. <laughs> like my back. And Aaron like ran over to the, the Air New Zealand people. And he's like, yeah, like th- we need to like make this international flight and a baggage shuts in five minutes and we haven't got our bag. And um the one was like why did you book two separate flights? And he's like, I don't know, just pointed at me. I'm this like hostile <laughs> woman crying at the baggage reclaim. And she's like, okay, I'll phone like the, you know, I'll phone the other desk and whatever. Yeah. You know. And so they checked us in from there. And oh nice. You know, we, we yeah, and they printed all our bag labels and stuff. Like if you ever travel with Air New Zealand, anyone, they're so, so helpful. Oh, they're one of really, the best. I'd, I'd done exactly the same thing on the way back. Wow. No idea. Again, no idea why. Uh, this one the, on the way back felt a little bit like a little bit more calm because we had nine minutes to spare rather than three. <laughs> but yeah, we it it was kind of a bumpy return to international travel, like right. logistics wise. Yeah. Was the flight bumpy? Talk about bumpiness. Was there it was any turbulence? Actually. Yeah, there was quite a lot of turbulence. Yeah, it's known, isn't it? Yeah, Emma says it's the worst she's experienced, and she shared a story where you know it's gone up and down proper, and I think Cook Islands was like that. That's when that's when the baby fell off the seat, right? Did I tell that story? No. The, our, our flight there was like equally as, as traumatic as, as yours, and in a different way. I had a McDonald's, oh, and, I got, and I, I got the shits before the flight. And you know, when you go through the gates in your zone, our zone was first, I think. And I said, Emma, we can't go first. We've got to leave it to the last possible second, like your two minutes to go. Because yeah. I need to keep going to the toilet. And there was that period of time between 
I've gone to the toilet for like the eighth time and we've got to get on the flight and you can't go to the toilet on the flight normally until it leaves and they're in the air, they take the sign off. Yeah, it's quite That's a while, quite, isn't it? About 20 minutes, half an hour, maybe if you're lucky. And yeah. I was just like praying I'm not going to shit myself on the flight. But like I was really concentrating, just like not thinking about it, just staring into space, like concentrating on something else. And luckily I made it. So that was the first trauma. The second trauma was the lights came off so you could walk about. Now this pet, this couple of parents had a kid that's probably like, I don't know, three or four, and then they had a baby. They wanted to go and take the kid to the toilet or something. But then the, the other parent wants to sort something out herself. So what I did is I laid their baby lengthways on the seats. Then turbulence started coming and it fell off. <laughs> and were you sat next to the baby? We sat two rows behind and oh okay and then oh no it didn't roll under the seat (laughs) 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 no i don't think so but there's a mighty thud and there's a panic from the flight attendant who went on the like the the comms and said hey is is there a doctor on board you know it's pretty yeah and there was and they told them that they need to keep the baby awake for three or four hours, whereas the Cook Islands and get to hospital straight away there because they wow, it dropped quite a bit weird. of a drop and banged its head and they weren't sure and they said you and shouldn't let it go to sleep. Yeah. Yeah. Oh wow, that's. And then and then the turbulence happened. So yeah, not not a great trilogy there. The Cook Islands is you know as we'll get onto it, it's, it's amazing, but it's not really the kind of place you want to go for emergency. No. You know, medical treatment. No. Is it? It's not. And the fight back, we'll get to the middle bit in a minute. The same thing happened to me again. I was like, right. It's not even a McDonald's in where I was this, I know. This time I was like, right, no meat before a flight. I'm just going to have a pizza, which is vegetarian, bread. So, right, stodgy. And I had a coffee. Yeah. I think the coffee got through me, which happens occasionally. Oh. And again, I was stressing out in Cook Island's airport, going to the toilet every, like, five minutes. I couldn't believe it. There you go. That's my shit myself story almost. The, um, did you have one of the really big planes over? I was really surprised. We were on the big, like an international plane. Like I say international, obviously planes are international, but like, you know, where you've got the big middle, you've got like three seats, then an aisle, then four seats in the middle. Oh, then wow. An aisle. Yeah. No, three and three. Yeah, no, we had one of the big was planes. Was it full? Yep, full. I think people are just think- trying to get back, aren't they? Or go there for for a holiday. I think it's you know the first place that we it was the first place that New Zealand opened borders with, yeah. So we all went crazy and booked a flight. Okay. And yeah. how long did you go th- go for in the end? Um. Oh, another another lesson learned. Oh yeah, um, I know it's coming. <laughs> I didn't know <laughs> that it was twenty four hours behind. Well, twenty two hours behind New Zealand. Yeah. So I booked cheap Sunday flights. Yeah. Thinking I'd go Sunday to Sunday, not really realizing I would leave on Sunday and arrive on Saturday, and then leave on Sunday and arrive home on Monday. <laughs> did, did you have to like book another day off work? Yeah, I had to book another day off work. And, uh. And like my manager was like, "Yeah, sure, like whatever." But but why are you going? Why are you going on holiday Sunday to Monday? I was like, "I'm going to the Cook Islands," and he was like, "Oh, you didn't know, did you?" 
<laughs> no, I didn't. Why does no one tell anyone else? Yeah, I should have told you because that, that happened to us as well. Uh, yeah, we, and we you had to another room night of accommodation on the way, you know, mm. for the Saturday night because we didn't know we were arriving on Saturday. <laughs> so the top tip here is that we've both experienced just look at the date time difference yeah because i think the only i think at the moment at least the only two places you can get to the cook islands from is australia and new zealand okay and they are both a day ahead of the cook islands yeah so you you i don't know if they're going to open it up again but you used to be able to also get there from la in which case you probably oh, yes. would have been on the right the right, the time. right time zone yeah like us yeah the same time zones that's right yes so, same time yeah as you. Yeah. Great tip that. You've got some bombshells to drop, apparently. Oh, it's I think it, it's not really a bombshell. I just okay. I just don't think you're gonna agree because I know that you just absolutely love the Cook Islands. Yeah. I just think Waratonga is really overrated. Okay. <laughs> I, I need some details, that, reasoning. That's why. I suppose my bombshell. Right. Where did you um, stay, first of all? We stayed in two places. Yeah. So we did, oh yeah, your original question was how long we went for. So we went, we were in Rarotonga from Saturday to Sunday, but like over a week. So was yeah. that eight days? Yeah. Seven days, eight days. And we did three nights in Rarotonga, then four nights in Aitutaki, and then one night back in Raro, and then yeah. back to mm-hmm. New Zealand. So yeah. four, four in each, but just split a diff- bit differently. So yeah, we stayed at Arrow. Arawa Beach for the mm. first three nights, but we stayed in like a resort. Oh yeah, uh, and I think I don't know. I just I was just surprised, and I think part of it is because of the time of year. Part of it's because it's the borders just opened, but I was surprised at how busy and how touristy it was. Okay, which I kind of suppose I didn't necessarily expect from mm. being in the middle of absolutely nowhere. And the resort where we stayed was lovely. We just stayed there for three nights, but it was very like, it felt a bit like, you know, when you go to Spain and you stay in a hotel and no one leaves the hotel, mm. like you saw the same people there at like breakfast, same people yeah. there at lunch, same people there at dinner. And um, we sort of messed up our Raro bit of the trip as well because I just you hear so much about like how relaxed it is and how you can just kind of roll up and do anything um there was not a car bike or motor like a scooter to be found on that entire island every not even a push bike we could not hire a single thing oh shit there's not there's no one there when we were there plenty of choice yeah yeah, so we we rocked up thinking that we could just hire a car oh, or shit, hire a bike yeah. or whatever, and we couldn't, as I said, we couldn't even get a push bike. And so we took the bus quite a bit. To yeah, go the one around. bus goes around, right? Yeah, but, yeah. you know, it comes once an hour and it yeah. finishes at 5 p.m. or something. So <laughs> we had, like, it was lovely. We did, we did you know, some snorkeling and just mm. kind of relaxing and stuff, but we'd gone with these kind of ideas of all these things we were going to do and found ourselves in a resort with lots of other people and yeah. no form of transport. And we were a bit like, oh, I don't know. It, I suppose the expectation and the reality were just a bit different. Yeah. Um, and the weather wasn't great in Rarotonga. Oh. Like it was okay. It was warm, but it was quite windy. 
Yeah. Which, you know, leaving Wellington, we'd kind of hoped would escape. It, it was really lovely, but it just wasn't quite what I think I was imagining. Whereas Aitutaki mm-hmm. was Good. what I was imagining. You know, we went yeah. over there and there was like hardly anyone there and we got transport immediately. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we just did all of these things and kind of cruised around the island. And I found that the people were friendlier. And bizarrely, like the the most, I don't know, I was very surprised, but I thought the food was better. Oh, yeah. Because how remote yeah. it is. Yeah. Maybe it was an expectations thing, but we much preferred our time on Aichutake. Well, I think we did as well. We loved Raro, mm. but I think Aichutake was a different level. Um, yeah, it's just stunning. Super chilled and just like the beach is incredible. The water, incredible. I don't know if I've ever seen water that clear. Mm. And also to like when you're kind of going around the lagoon and you go on the boat tours. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen so many different shades of blue. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. Such a short, like, do you know, you've got like this crystal clear water that looks like it's kind of running out the tap. And then you've got this like blue and then you've got this kind of greeny blue and then you've got a darker blue, but all of it is just really clear. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's insane. It's amazing. And it's, um, I'd say Aishitaki was the best snorkeling I've ever done. Okay. Yeah. Emma done some snorkeling as well. Yeah. She loved it. Cause I went on the boat tour and I can't swim. So there's like, I don't know, boat party of maybe 10, 12 people. And he said, "Ah, oh, so we've got snorkeling gear here. Let's get, let's get you know, suited up and go." And I went, "Ah, oh, I'm not going to do it." He's like, "What do you mean?" I said, "Ah, oh, I can't really go in water that's like deep or don't snorkel." Basically, he's like, "Oh, he's really confused." He said, "Well, yeah. okay, what I'll do is I'll drop you at one of the islands. You can just hang around there." So he dropped me at the honeymoon island. Oh yeah. The real. So not only is Atutaki the main island small, you've got these little dots of islands that are just basically. A few, a few bits of bush and the clear white sand. So I hung around these islands and just like wait for them to be done after an hour and a half, two hours, whatever it was. Just kind of like sitting around yeah, there. and Honeymoon Island, Longfoot Island. Yeah. I didn't know that you couldn't swim. Yeah. I didn't know that. Um, you should have gone on our boat because our boat tour had, you know, those noodles. <laughs> they offered noodles. Um, no, I don't know what they are. Yeah, you do. Like, you know, those big floaty, like, oh. foam noodle thing that you can kind of, like, put it underneath you. Yeah. And then it makes you float. Yeah. Yeah, you should have got one of them. Can you still snorkel with one of them? Well, yeah, because you're only putting your face in, aren't you? Like, obviously, you're not going to dive down, but you can see quite a lot by just putting your face in. So my, my question for you there when you're snorkeling is, so, you know, obviously, you're, you're swimming along, you've got your head in the water. If you want to yeah. stop... Could you reach the floor, the coral? Bits of it, yes, you could. You could did you touch it or did you not just try and keep treading water? Yeah, you just keep kind of treading water. But we had flippers on. So if you oh, kind okay. of like, you know, hit it with your flipper, it's not, I don't think it's the end of the world. Right. You, you, well, you're not going to get cut, but I know you shouldn't touch the coral. Right. But it's That's quite what I'm easy. Not sure about. Yeah, you shouldn't touch coral because it cuts you. Really, I've been cut by coral before, actually. It's quite painful. Yeah um also it's not good for the coral True. um but with flippers on it's quite easy to just bob around and do you know if emma saw the giant clams because they had oh. like a giant clam reserve and yeah, I, I think didn't she did know. yeah 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 i think she did yeah, like, that rings clams, a bell. like the size of a kitchen sink yeah yeah she did do you remember saying i remember saying that yeah yeah, yeah. i didn't know you could get a clam that big 
Wow. Yeah, yeah. Mm. There's a weird disconnect because for two hours, I was just chilling in the water on this honeymoon island, just walking around with no one on it. Like, you know, that wow. little spit of sand that goes out. I was yeah. just walking along that. I, I, I just couldn't believe my eyes, really. I was just trying, just trying to take it all in, but I was the only one not part of the group. So until they came back and got the passport stamp on the, at the post office and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, kind of was yeah on, I'm really gutted. We, we left our passports in the wrong bag. Like, we didn't get them right. stamped, which I'm really sad about because I've um, got a lot of stamps in my passport. But I yeah. do have a cook ovens one, so yeah, that's just nice. as good. Where did you stay yeah. on Atutaki? What was the resort? We stayed at Reef Hotel, I think it's called, or Motel, one of the two. We, I wouldn't recommend where we stayed. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> so we stayed in these... I think it was called Paradise Cove Lodge. Okay. And there were like these individual like bungalows that were kind of on the beach. Oh, and Paradise dreamy. Cove is beautiful. And like the yeah, from the outside, it was incredible. Um, and I feel really bad kind of moaning about it. Um, but obviously the Cook Islands shut their borders as well for two years. And there's been a lot of storms, and these bungalows were in quite bad way. Right. Like there was quite a lot of disrepair and they just need like a good amount of maintenance. Yeah. And I get that no one's been there for two years. There's been no money coming in. They kind of need to get people in to do the repairs. You know, I, I can see that it's a really like, it's probably a really difficult position for the owners to be in, but they were in quite a bad way. Right. Did you have any favourite spots on Atutaki? Because I loved a few spots. Utu Beach, which is right down where... So, you know, if you go at the end of the airport strip, there's yes. a, an island called Atataki Lagoon Private Island Resort. You can't go on it yes. unless you stay there. We tried to go yeah. on it. They said no. So, okay. Walked back across the water. And just by that, it's called Utu Beach. That's probably my favorite part yeah. of the main oh, island really? bit. Yeah, we did go down there. All Honestly, all of it's just amazing, isn't it? Yeah. But like, yeah. Paradise Cove is beautiful if you don't stay in the little bungalows. And there's a really posh resort like a couple I said a couple of doors down <laughs> but you can walk it on the beach from the you know on the beach and we would just go there and pretend that we were staying in the posh resort and right. <laughs> it's called Tamano or Tamanu oh yes I know what that is yeah yeah so we would just kind of yeah oh, I remember seeing them they're, they're kind of closed off aren't they as you go down the road down the road to get to those places, right? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, and exclusive like, resorts kind of like, down there. But you can get access to them from the beach. Ah, okay, right. And the restaurants like open to anyone, so we're just going like you know get a drink and hang out on their bit of beach. But actually, Paradise Cove Beach was beautiful too, where we were. Oh, the whole place is amazing. Yeah. So you, we did have a really good time, but I just found Raro like a little bit touristy and a bit full, and I think that that's just maybe because of the time. You know, like yeah. it's the first place that most people can go to from New Zealand. It's the first, you know, people are kind of maybe like me, we're all dipping our toe back in the water of traveling without, you know, four hours is a short flight from New Zealand mm. without kind of going crazy and going on a big trip. That's crazy how many people don't go to Atutaki though. Because when we're oh, there, I, I, I think we said to one of the cafe owners or waitresses, oh, but we're, we're popping across Atutaki for three or four days. She's like, oh, yeah, no one ever goes there. Like, a few people go there. People stay on Raro. I'm like, oh, why is that? Oh, Raro's good. It's yeah, got some yeah. spots, but I, go there. Considering, we, yeah, we have one of those big, big planes 
yeah. going in Raro. And I feel like there was one going in a day <sighs> at the moment. There's only one flight to Aitutaki and there was like seven of us on it. <laughs> what are people doing? You know? <laughs> yeah. Let's just keep everyone else on Raro so we can all enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. I was then going to say, if I was to go back to Cook Islands, one, maybe two days maximum on Raro and the rest of it's an Aitutaki. Yeah, and I'd love to find some of the other islands as well. Yeah, is that from possible? Aitutaki, Did you look into that? Yeah. From Aitutaki, you can go to Aitu. Okay, yes. a smaller one again. And then I think the others, maybe not. You, you could only travel there if you were like, you know, a resident or local or something. There would just be nothing for you to do there. Right. But you can go to Aitu for maybe a couple of nights. Raro, Aitutaki, Aitu, maybe. I don't wow. know, yeah. Okay. I reckon even that would be just even more remote, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's I, more remote. I to you? I too? Yeah. Wow. Well, next time. I don't think we'd be going back in a rush. And that's not... <laughs> oh, that made it sound awful. I just think, you know, we did a lot there and... I don't know, the world's a big place. Yeah. But I really am, like, really, you know, we're going to explore the Pacific now. Mm. I'd love to go to, you know, like Tahiti. Oh. Samoa is very high on our list. Yeah. Might try and go to Samoa next year. Yeah. What about yeah. New Caledonia? That was on my list. All of them. Yeah. All of them. Yeah, I'd love to go. Fiji, of course. Have you been to Fiji? No, I haven't. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Plenty of options there. Yeah. yeah. I would love to go to South Pacific again. I don't think it's going to be immediately in our plans, but... I don't know. We'll see. So that's your Cook Islands trip. Not too much of a bombshell. I understand your reasons for Raro, I think. Okay, good. I fully accept that. Okay, where are you going next? You got anything booked? Yeah, I do. Do you? I've got a few things booked. Yeah. Oh, where? Yeah, yeah. I didn't, I didn't realise this. Ah, oh, it's all good. Uh, well, I say a few things. I've got one, two things booked. Yeah. One of them I'm actually not leaving the country, but... <laughs> <laughs> um, now, Aaron is off to the UK... in three weeks oh and he is going for one week (laughs) (laughs) that's a bigger bombshell than your raro bombshell that he's Um, yeah he's going to the uk for a week right he's going to a wedding yeah but then we are finally making it to australia because i'm going to meet him in sydney on the way on his way back hang on so he's doing god knows how many hours Go back to so he flies to the UK, yeah, and he spends seven days in the UK. Then he flies to Sydney, yeah, and I fly to Sydney, and we we spend as long <laughs> in Sydney as <laughs> he's in the UK. A few questions here. Number yeah. one: Why are you not going to the UK to attend the wedding with him? Because someone's got to look after the dog. I'm going to come to that in a bit. Okay. Number two which kind of doesn't really work because of that answer. But I was going to say, why didn't you just go with him and make a trip out of Europe somewhere and do two weeks? No, so there are reasons why he's gone for, you know, he's gone for a week. Um, We booked the flights um, quite a while ago, maybe March. Oh, yeah. Back in March, you know, COVID was very much a big thing, Mm. kind of everywhere. Yeah, we were both just a bit like, oh, I I particularly, I felt really nervous about going to the UK. Yeah, I got COVID there this year. Yeah. And I didn't want to go. I yeah. don't know, there was something about it. I really didn't like the idea of going and the flight. My family are coming here. 
over okay. Christmas. Oh, nice. So yeah. it kind of felt a bit like, oh, well, I could go and, you know, spend all that time and leave because I wouldn't go for a week. Yeah. <laughs> I'd go for a bit longer. <laughs> you know, if they're yeah. coming here, I'm going to see them here. Yeah. So that yeah. was one of the things. And also the flights were just really expensive. What price are we talking? Because they're, they're expensive from here anyway they at the minute. Got, but... we, got a, we got a much better deal than they are now. Now you're looking at over 3,000 New Zealand dollars. That's crazy. Over, yeah. Aaron got his for about two grand, 2,000 something. But it would have cost us, you know, the best part of $5,000, New Zealand dollars, for us to both go to the UK. That's ridiculous. That's not worth it. I'd be spending most of my time in Essex. (laughs) Oh, God. It didn't feel right. I don't know. It didn't feel like the right time to go. Mm. But he, it's his best friend's wedding. So so he's going to go for a week. Yeah. Which part of Essex would you have gone to, by the way, out of interest? uh, My family live in Harlow. Harlow, okay, cool. Over the nice bit. It's not the nice bit. No. <laughs> is is there a nice bit in Essex? Is there a nice bit? Yeah, there is. There's some really nice countryside. Where there's no houses and no people? Oh, no, you've got like the rich houses with the rich ah, people. Right. You know, and like the lots of land. Yeah, like stately nice. homes. Yeah, <laughs> the castles. No, I don't <laughs> know if we have a castle. We must have, I think we do have a castle in Essex. But yeah, that's not where I live. It's oh, unfortunate. unfortunate. And but yeah, I think we've been talking about going to Australia as long as I've known you. That's five yeah. years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's taking you that long to get there. Yeah, we've never made it. And so here we are. We are going to Australia. <laughs> Only wow. one bit. Sydney. But yeah. It's great. Yeah. I just figured that you can't go to Australia for the first time and not see the opera house and the bridge. Yeah. You can't go for a week. As in, like, and try and do this, this, and this. You need to go week no, in one place. That's big. Sydney. Yeah, yeah, and that all, yeah. a lot of my friends here were like, "You'll love Melbourne. You should go to Melbourne." And I was like, "I can't do it. I need Sydney first. You know, if I'm going if I'm going to Australia. You know, it might be the only time because <laughs> my track record of going isn't great. Yeah. I've got to go to Sydney, and I've got to see the sights of Sydney. Are you going to walk on top of the Harbour Bridge? Yes. Fantastic. I've not done that and it's on my list. Hell yeah. I want to do that. Yeah. I don't want to go to that like pool that's in the ocean next to the beach, whatever that everyone. Oh, Bondi. Yeah. 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 And you've got to do the walk, haven't you? The Bondi to Coogee walk. Done that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a well nice walk. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's cool. But I'm, I'm literally going to take the top, the top things that everyone <laughs> does and sit Trip advisor special. One of them. <laughs> yeah. I'm not even going to try and look for off the beaten track things. Nice. Dar- Darling <laughs> Harbour, you going there? Got to go there. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to get a boat somewhere. Yeah. Going to watch cricket? Yeah. Nah. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> I'm my time there. Fair enough. Yeah, that'd be a great trip. Um, that'd be awesome. And then I've got a road, another New Zealand road trip planned over the summer. Is Aaron going? Yeah. Oh, he is? Okay. Right. Oh, yeah, we're not going tramping. We're just, you know, our parents coming over. Yeah. And we're going to do a, a classic, classic Kiwi summer. And how long is that for? Two weeks. North or South Island or just one island? North Island. Yeah. And it's a very bizarre trip, I have to say. I wouldn't say it's the most logical. 
And the entire trip has been built and designed around my dog. <laughs> Where right. I can take him and what I think he would like to do. <laughs> and your mum's visiting, right? Yeah, my mum's going to be here. Doesn't come into the equation here. what your dog want to do. all about Wally. Right, okay. So what does that yeah. mean that you've... I don't say if you're ruled in or out here because I don't know what the restrictions are with your dog. You can't take your dog into any national parks. Oh, is that a rule? Yeah, it's actually very not... Like, New Zealand's not very dog-friendly. That's crazy. Um, okay. Because of all our native birds nest in the ground. Right. And can get disturbed and eaten, I suppose, by dogs. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the South Island was kind of ruled out because... Imagine going to the South Island. Oh, you're not allowed your dog in Queenstown Centre. Yeah. So imagine like going on a road trip to the South Island and you can't go to Abel Tasman, you can't go to Milford Sound, you can't go to like any of the national parks. Like the only place you can go is the Catlins. Oh, yeah. Down, <laughs> is, that, down, is that way down south? Yeah, we went yeah, there. Which is yeah, which beautiful. Beautiful. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. all you can do. That's why we ruled out the South Island. Right. So we are going to the North Island. Okay. And what's on the list? We're mainly going to be around the Coromandel and the Bay of Plenty. Oh, can't go wrong. Which is quite a nice place to spend summer. Yeah. Is Before. your mum looking forward to it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Seems I think a bit far like away, doesn't it? But it's coming over before and they did a very you know like they got a camper van and they did the north north south island road trip so oh, i've wow. seen it's right. not like they've they're coming over and i'm just making them sleep in the bush because and they've not seen anything else right but i think she's a bit nervous because we're going to like you know like dock campsites where it's five dollars a night yeah but they've got a river and wally likes planning the river so so yeah even though the toilets are shite wally's getting a bath in the river yeah, and we're going to go to a couple of beaches. Oh, we're going to uh, Raglan. I've never been to Raglan before. Surfing there? Yeah, but oh. also dog-friendly. Ah, oh, okay. <laughs> I see the thing. <laughs> Are you going to Mount Manganui? Uh, yes. Well, close to it. Close to it? Um, yeah, we're staying in Waihi. Not very good at directions, but I think on the map, it's like left of okay. Mount Manganui mm-hmm. and Tauranga. Yeah, same kind of stretch of beach, but maybe 40-minute drive from Mount Monganui. Yeah, got it. Nice little... Down memory lane. Trip down memory lane. Yeah, yeah, that'd be cool. That'd be awesome. And hopefully, yeah. good, good weather, hopefully. Should be. Oh, I reckon, you know, up there over summer. Yeah, got to be. Be beautiful. Oh, nice. So that's quite nice to have a couple of trips in before the end of the year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's actually coming quite fast, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. My mum reliably informs me that a lot of the airlines are struggling at the moment because they like laid stuff off or they furloughed them or whatever for the best part of two years. Mm. And so they all need to redo their training. Like their train the oh. the training has expired for like right. you know, flight, flight attendants. Yeah, yeah, I get caught flight up. Flight attendants. Yeah. Um all their safety training has expired. But because the airlines have, you know, not been doing great over the last couple of years, they can't afford to put everyone. And I imagine there's a capacity limit as well. Mm-hmm. Not every single person can go through that training at the same time. So they're having to stagger getting their workforce all back up to speed, which means yeah. less flight. Some people are not going back because they've realised that they don't get yeah, paid that much. Yeah, they've gone and found other careers and stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. 
So one thing that we that I've been dealing with a lot of work at the moment is ministers are now travelling overseas for the first time in oh yeah in two years. So yeah. I've been organising a lot of ministerial travel, and yeah, all we just keep getting is you know, don't let them take luggage; it will get lost. <laughs> is it not private Minist- jets? No. <laughs> uh, fair ah, in New Zealand. Oh, okay, first class business. Business class. Is it career suicide going first class? Is that one of the rules? I don't know first class. I was talking about this with a colleague the other day. Does first class exist anymore? Because I think it might be business class, business premiere. Oh, okay. I don't know. But there's, like, there's economy, there's premium economy, then there's business. Yeah. Is there still a first? I think for big flights there is. Oh, okay. Like big, big top flights. Us going right. home, no first class, but it's business class. Right, yeah. yeah. So, so Emirates will have a first class. Yeah, okay. Government travel is business. Okay. We're dipping very quickly, a bit of travel privilege and sustainability for a laugh. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the first one's pretty mm. obvious, passport privilege. We both have that, I think, with our passports, where it gets you into a lot of countries there. It's pretty easy to get in. Um, and we whereas- can afford them. And we can afford them, we can get them. Yeah. And it's not even on our radar to think that uh, I might not get into somewhere, apart from a few, a few extremes. But for a lot of people like yeah, this. that's really interesting. I've not really yeah. even thought about that before. So for Indians, for example, who I work with a lot of Indians right at work, they said that to come to Canada, they can't just get a tourist visa. They have to apply for one and they get assessed just for a tourist visa to visit. And it can be denied. Wow. Yeah, just to turn up and, you know, when it comes to two or three weeks. Yeah, like a real example of privilege, I suppose, is I didn't even think about the Cook Islands until I was on the plane. Mm. And I was like, oh, I'm assuming my UK passport can get me in. There you go. You know, and, and, and it could, and there was no issues. But it's just something that's not even in, on my radar. Mm. You know, yeah. like you say, other than a couple of really extreme places. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if you've got one of our passports, British passports, or I'd say like pretty much Western Europe passport or down where you are, Kiwi or Australian yeah, kind passport. Of Commonwealth. Commonwealth, or basically, or Japan, maybe. Some careers are top global, ones. Singapore. What's it called? The Global North. That right. A while ago, we would have said like developed and underdeveloped. Or oh, like, yeah. 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 Oh, I didn't know that. I would have still called it developed and developing. Yeah. Yeah. So passport privilege, not great in terms of like say some people just can't go somewhere just based on their country. As a, as a person, they might be totally fine, but they're judged and also, as a whole. Yeah. Like, I don't know how much a UK passport is because mine, I haven't had to renew it for a while, but... It's what, maybe like £100, right? Yeah, I think it's 70 quid, I think. That could be quite a lot of money Yeah. for someone. But, you know, looking like in other countries, it might be that actually the passport, just the cost of the passport is prohibitively expensive. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that's before you've even had to factor in like a plane trip or, you know, and then you've got your visa issues. Mm-hmm. Like going overseas for some people just might not be an option, really. Yeah, not even on the cards, which mm. kind of sort of goes into I've got here economic privilege as well, right? 
Yeah. Where some a lot of people are just surviving. And that's not just poorer countries. That's also in our countries, right? There's a class yeah, of people absolutely. who would like, even not even think about going away. Yeah, because as well, like, you know, I don't know about you, but I'm in a job where I'm in a, a stable job, but I also have paid annual leave. Yeah. If you're like working, you know, in a gig economy type roles where you're, you know, you've got maybe three or four smaller jobs on the go but you're all technically self-employed like an uber driver or a delivery driver or something like that and you're you're kind of doing that patchwork of jobs across your week it might not be easy to take two weeks off because you're effectively taking two weeks unpaid yeah absolutely right couple that with people who have like the lower end scale of jobs i'm gonna put quotation marks they're secure but they're just like not paid that Mm -hmm. well how are they ever yeah. going to afford to go? And it's bring, it brings me back to someone who I met in Borneo, right? We went to the rainforest to like three-day camp stay. And there's an American and an Australian, they're, they're a couple. An American guy was like telling me that, you know, a lot of people in America can't travel. I was like, what do you mean? He goes, well, they can't afford it. I was like, yeah. really? Just like even that was like even a basic thing I didn't really know. Because I, I assumed in America, anyone can get a job, earn money and go, but... There's a lot of people in America and so little in compared to Western countries or top countries, right? Even in those countries, it's hard, but let alone the other countries, the average wage is so low. Yeah. Yeah. And then like, you know, talking about America, depending on what sort of job you've got, if you haven't got health insurance, <sighs> you know, that's going to be one of your, your biggest priorities is making sure that you and your family are able to get medical care. Yeah. Not oh, shall I go to the South Pacific or Europe this summer? <laughs> yeah. You know, it. yeah, particularly if you live in paycheck to paycheck. Like, you know, in the UK, obviously there are people living paycheck to paycheck and that particularly at the moment there's some really awful financial situations happening. Mm. But we do have that fallback of we can get free medical care should yeah. we need it. But imagine, you know, living paycheck to paycheck and you can't even go to the doctor if you're unwell, you know, or you hear about awful situations in the US, like, you know, someone's diabetic and they can't afford their insulin. There must be a heap of people who just worry every day or every week, shit, but I'll get ill. Mm, yeah. yeah. So then, travel is never on their mind, is it? <laughs> no. Yeah. And I think as well, there's like, there's some sort of, I don't really know how to explain it necessarily, but there's like a societal or like a family type privilege in that, you know, we're able to go away because we've got jobs, but also our families can kind of look after themselves. There's a there's a huge amount of people in the world who, you know, might live in the UK or they might live in New Zealand or whatever, but they're supporting wider family like parents and grandparents or aunts and uncles overseas you know Mm. so all of that money is going back or you know it could be in the same country but you know like a lot of I think European or particularly UK families are quite it's almost like you just fend for yourself really isn't it whereas a lot of cultures your family is a lot is a lot tighter and a lot more complicated than that you know you would pay for your parents or you would yeah you know make sure that your cousin got what they needed or whatever you know money is a lot more shared around I don't think it would be you know it just wouldn't be even thought about to be like oh well I've got my job I'm off now 
to go yeah. to go do this or to see this place. You know, you look after your family. Yeah. And someone explained that to me who I worked with, still work with. Um, their parents are from Taiwan. And also a few other people actually who I work with. So the many Chinese, Taiwanese, and maybe Japanese as well. And they said to me that I can't do what you do. And I said, what do you mean? I said, economically, money-wise, I can, but I shouldn't because I have this loyalty thing to the family where they rely on me. So some of these people's parents are coming to Canada for the first time, right? So they don't speak great English, for example, and then they rely on their children who grew up here to sort things out for them, to communicate for them. So they can't just up and leave. And also the financial element as well. That is, mm-hmm. is shared around someone else who I know who's from the Philippines said that her family relies on her. So she can't yeah. just up and leave and go travel. take six months off unpaid. No. Go around the world, even if, you know, on paper she could because yeah. that's you can't because of all the other expectations on you. Yeah. I was just, when someone was telling me about this, I was in shock. I was like, oh, you can't just nip to Southeast Asia for three months. They're like, nah. Like, Bloody hell. Mental, isn't it? Yeah. And you see that here as well. Like, you know, like Māori and Pacific families are very much kind of that whānau family unit. Yeah. And, you know, people my age would be helping to support their parents. I think that's what kind of opened my eyes to it a little bit as well. It was like, oh, actually, you know, I don't want to use the word obligation because I think people want to do it. They really want to help their family. Yeah, but true. it's a very different mindset from what we have in the UK, which is almost like you're 18, yeah. you're on your own now, I'm going to do my thing, you can do your thing. And if that is going around the world for a year, have fun. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Know, it's literally that, isn't it? Yeah. It, it's actually not like that around the rest of the world quite often. I think it's actually quite unique way of thinking and the cultures I think that you see that in quite often that idea has descended from kind of yeah you know European ideology so Mm. like Australia you know the colonized countries have that mindset but actually a lot of indigenous you know indigenous cultures and Asian cultures family is the most important thing and it would trump going around the world yeah which it's hard for me to understand because it, <laughs> to an extent, would never be like that for me. Hence we, why. Yeah, we've been brought up in a very different way as yeah. well. We've yeah. got very different, you know, values. Because and... imagine like if you grow up in the UK, right? You're 18 and your mum goes, well, no, you've got to stay here and help pay the bills. You're like, oh, fuck off, mate, I'm off. Right? That is literally <laughs> that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and also, like, I remember, like, my mum worked. My mum was in a hospital and she was very close to an Indian family mm. and the wife and the mom of that Indian family even said to her, she was like, but you guys are so weird. Like, you know, you all want kids, but as soon as they're 18, you want them out. She's like, I would, I would happily have my children with me forever because they're my family. Yeah. You know, whereas that's such like a, you know, you're seen as a failure if you still with your, live with your parents. Yeah. Like moving back in at 30 because that's ah, it's fancy. It's, oh, Okay. <laughs> Yeah. yeah and like your parent like no I don't know anyone any you know white English parents who'll be like oh, I'm really happy to have my son my 27 year old son at home <laughs> they don't just be like oh my god get out <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's interesting I think I think some families do like have them back don't they it's weird 
Yeah, some examples where people just go back when they're like our age, just for like a year or a year or two. It's weird. Mm. Yeah. But there's also culture. Yeah, that's a real cultural thing. Yeah. Like a cultural thing that we think it's weird. Yeah. Interesting. And I've got here as well, language privilege, which is a classic one. We speak English, natural speakers, you know, first language. That's a privilege as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, even people who come on podcasts said like, who I think had Angela from Portugal. She's like, well, I learned English because everyone speaks it. She said, she said, you don't have to learn another language because you don't need it. I'm like, yeah. unfortunately, that's the attitude we have. <laughs> and that's why none of us can speak another language. Um, yeah. It's pretty bad. And I think it? we have such like an arrogant way of kind mm. of traveling the world as, as English speakers. It's kind of like a, you will, <laughs> you know, you will conform, you know, you will understand me and we will make this work. Whereas, you know, we're so untolerant of that when people go to the UK. It's like, yeah. oh, they're over here. They should learn English. Yeah. You know, but how many people do you know that speak another language? I could probably, know, you know, count them on one hand. I mean, English. English people, bloody hell. Yeah. <laughs> like you know, me. you meet Europeans and they know four or five. Yeah. And it's incredible. English people who know another language, like, competently, I can name you one. I know. Bloody hell. Aaron. Oh, Aaron. Aaron's a great example. But. But there's a caveat there. He grew up up with it, didn't he? He grew up with Spanish. Yeah. Is there anyone that we know who didn't grow up with with a language that off their own back went, right, I'm going to learn a language and be competent in it? Aaron. (laughs) (laughs) What's the the other language? Portuguese. Yeah, and Italian. And he started learning Japanese. Oh, bloody hell. Okay. <laughs> Aaron's <laughs> the only guy. Let's delve into a little bit to finish off with sustainability. So this is the one part of the podcast I actually did some research about. I'm, I'm keen to hear what you've got. I'm literally going to just take a lot of things from one particular article, but I thought it'd be quite interesting. Yeah, why not? Yeah. So New Zealand has just welcomed, welcomed in, what are those little things? Quotation marks. Versus Quotation marks. Yeah. Cruise yeah. ship back. Oh, grim. Grim. <laughs> there was three in the other day, yeah? Three. Oh, Get well, out of my life. I learned, I learned some things, some facts tell, about cruise ships. Please, tell all. I knew you'd be interested because I know that you don't like a cruise ship. Yeah. I never liked the idea of cruise ships for the reason that... Um, I don't really like the idea of, you know, popping off somewhere for six hours, getting back on your boat. Pop, you, do you know what I mean? I didn't Pointless. like that idea. And I didn't like, I've always thought that cruise ships must be quite germy. Yes. And like COVID absolutely proved that. But I remember hearing like when I was a lot younger about, you know, people that would go and the whole boat would get a sickness bug or something. Yeah. And that's always put me off. So those are the reasons I don't like cruise ships. I had no idea about the environmental impact of them as well. Okay. And obviously, I suppose when you first think about it, you think of somewhere like Venice that's had to like ban cruise ships because they, they do a lot of damage, don't they? Like mm. the water and oh. the harbors and stuff. Yeah. Did you know? This is exciting. Go on. Okay. Individual cruise liners emit more CO2 than any other kind of ship. And per passenger mile, they produce at least twice the CO2 emissions of a long-haul flight. Wow. Yeah. Bombshell. A 
A single cruise ship can use up to 150 tonnes of low-grade heavy fuel oil every day of its voyage. Every day? Every day. Right. The way that it's combusted in the the ship's engines produces particle matter that is like microscopic particles that can be inhaled and lodged in lung tissue or carried in bloodstream. Um, that's obviously linked to like kind of environmental harm and health problems, mm. including reduced lung function and worsening asthma or heart disease. A single cruise ship can produce the same daily particle matter emissions as one million cars. <sighs> so when hell. you have three cruise ships in a city at any given point, yeah. That's like having an additional three million cars on the road in that <sighs> one city. And so oh. when you think about cruise ships going to somewhere like Shanghai. As an example, yeah. Think about the air quality in some of those cities as it is. And it wouldn't just be, you know, China. It's, it's all over the place, but like India or whatever. You know, think of like where they've got the smog They've got that really reduced air quality and you're putting an additional three million, like the equivalent of an additional three million cars on the road. How is this industry not banned yet? Here's my next bombshell. (laughs) (laughs) Cruise ship fuel also contains sulfur. So you're also putting sulfur into the environment on top of those, you know, three million cars or whatever. Yeah. But... The, one of the like the big kind of arguments from the cruise ship industry is that they bring revenue to cities. Mm. They bring tourism, they bring revenue in the six to nine hours or whatever that they're there. But cruise ships typically only spend between five and nine hours in a port. Yeah. And they tourists typically don't eat or shop or drink in those towns they just get whisked away by a bus or they go and see like you know the major the major tourist attractions because why would they pay to eat including their price for the cruise ship is food and i guess as much as you want yeah exactly you know they actually contribute little to local economy the carbon footprint is massive Mm. the, the damage that's done to you know seabirds or i don't really know this side of it but you know places like venice oh yeah whatever you know the damage that can be done by them is huge but they're not actually people aren't really spending money in the towns that they're going to and then on top of it all they kind of operate don't they on international they're like oh we're international waters or whatever so most of them don't pay tax yeah true and then you hear all those horror stories. Like if something happens, if something goes wrong on a cruise ship, you're usually between police or legal jurisdictions. So nothing can be done about it. Yeah, that's true as well. Yeah. Crime and, and stuff. And apparently staff are treated awfully on cruise ships. Doesn't surprise me. Yeah. And their statement about it brings money to the local economy, apparently, which is complete bullshit. But that whole mentality of bringing money is why it exists. And that's the problem with sustainable travel as a whole, right? It's because we have systems that are dominated by making profit and money. If that is the number one goal, we are never, ever going to regulate stuff to make sure we get back to what it should be. Or even where we've been there, but like try and put it back 
because mm. money would just always be king. And as, as a few countries trying to lead the way, like Bhutan, for example, is like carbon negative and stuff like that. And they have certain map people per day, but very, very minimal in terms of compared to the world travel sector, if you like. Yeah. We mm. do need to think of practices where we can help countries, regulations, permits. It's hard to imagine, isn't it? Imagine something like Thailand. In Thailand how or Spain, how are you going to stop people from going there? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is, it is really hard to, to imagine, isn't it? But, yeah, I think, you know, New Zealand's having this conversation a lot at the moment because, you know, New Zealand has some amazing landscape and stuff yeah. but it can't deal with the amount of tourism that it's been having mm. and having this two-year closed break has really kind of highlighted like the regeneration of some of those areas mm. has highlighted that I don't think you know New Zealand tourism can go back to what it was for instance Milford Sound they're talking about capping numbers yeah but what do you do like where do you start with that like it's pretty easy to go okay only 50 people a day for argument's sake yeah. can go to Milford Sound. Does that mean that you reduce the amount of people that come into the country? Because no. if you're still having, say, these are just completely made up figures, if you're still having 2,000 people a day coming into the country and only 50 of them can go to Milford Sound, what do the other 1,950 those people do? Do yeah. they just go somewhere else? And do you then end up with the same issue not in Milford Sound, but in, I don't know, Fox Glacier, because yeah. everyone's just, okay, well, we can't go to Milford, so we'll go here. Mm. Or, you know, whatever other waterfall should know some more waterfalls. Or like, you yeah, know, like the Catlins got tons of waterfalls. Yeah. Do you, do you go there instead? Or does everyone go to Doubtful Sound because they can't go to Milford Sound and then you get the same? Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know what the answer is, but I don't think it's, I think it's really I, idealistic. To say let's just cap the numbers everywhere unless you're going to cap the amount of people coming into the country and cap the amount of flights. And yeah. somewhere like New Zealand, like we're in a slightly different spot now, two years post-COVID, but pre-COVID, our entire economy was propped up tourism. Yeah, yeah. You know, people's entire towns, the livelihoods are based around tourism. Like mm. Tiano, what do people do there other than cater yeah. to tourists? Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. So, so is it then as simple as going, okay, well, you know, 50 people a day are allowed in New Zealand. I don't, yeah, it's it's really tough. Because then you're going into the realms of someone like Bhutan where they have tours for you. You can't go without a tour. Mm. A model like that you can restrict, right? Because in theory, and there's only like five flights a day or something that goes in, something like real low, they can just keep tabs on it. There's yeah. like 2,000 rooms available in one night in Bhutan. So they know that's the maximum they're going to get. But for places that are just you know, almost open border, like I've got some examples here that we both would know that would be over tourism would be like Barcelona. Pre, let's call it pre-COVID because I think COVID's yeah. changed a few things. But pre-COVID, imagine this. Barcelona, I went, chaos. Maya Bay in Thailand, closed because of over tourism. Venice, locals kicking off because this is too many tourists. Machu Picchu, I think it's the problems this week I saw in the news. Like these are places that are just <sighs> Machu Picchu is a bit different, I think, because you have to get there. Like it's, it's not like you just arrive in Peru and you're there. You have to like go and make a trip to Aguas Calientes yeah. and get up there. But for Barcelona and, and Venice, you, in theory, you just travel there. So how are you gonna? Yeah, like I know people that have gone to Barcelona for the day. Yeah, you know? 
and it's so busy there like, i don't know how you even get over it how you even introduce stuff there's a problem yeah and you know and and i did you know things that started out as really great ideas like airbnb uh-huh. you know airbnb started out as a great idea yeah. or you know rent someone's spare room and stay with them but they've become entire businesses now yeah but that's pushing up rent yeah for you know actual people that actually want to work and live in that city like is it new york who have now put something in that you know you can only rent out your airbnb for a certain amount of days a month oh okay it might not even be new york i'm thinking it's new york but you know in a couple of other places i think a couple of european places berlin definitely does it mm. Just stop people trying to have, you know, an entire flat that is just solely Airbnb guests. Yeah. Because that's somebody, you know, that's a, that's a flat that someone can't live in. Yeah. You know, problem. As you'll know from living in New Zealand, when you have low supply and high oh, demand, you end up yeah. with, you know, crazy competition and crazy high rent. And rent crazy is high so high. Yeah. It's a huge problem. That's another part of sustainable travel that I didn't even think of is that that whole portion of it as well but yeah yeah. and we've we've really tried to like pull back the amount of of airbnbs that we use now really okay yeah yeah, for that reason and like when we went to the cook islands we spent quite a lot of time researching who owns those resorts that we stayed in okay to try I don't know if we did if we if we managed it but you know so that that money is going into got it cook islands yeah rather than an, say a new zealander or an australian who owns your neighbor is <laughs> coming straight back over here yeah 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 good point now that's a good if you can do do that and find out that would help you know it's not easy no it's not and so we might not have got it right it's, it's really difficult and i don't know if we're doing the right thing yeah. But we have definitely really scaled back the amount of Airbnb that we use. You know, when it's like somebody's got like, it's either a spare room or they've got like a little annex on their house, but they live there full time. That's the kind of try and thing that we would try and look for rather than two bedroom apartment in the middle of the city. <laughs> you know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I didn't even think about that. Oh, wow. And also I asked Erin on the alpaca my bags, do you think it's from your experience of like, interviewing people before COVID to after COVID, are you hopeful? And she said a little bit more hopeful, but there's still a long way to go. Yeah. Um, because the problem you're going to get something like Venice, for example, the Venetians for the first time probably ever because of COVID, I know they're restricted. And they probably couldn't go out as much, but they had a city to themselves with no tourists. Yeah. That must've been a completely different world for them. Cause they're all they're used to is people going gondolas, walking around the same spots and just clogging up the whole city. But now they had like their own city back. But now you can go there. They could be pissed off again, aren't they? There's, I think there's going to be a real, in some of these places, a real disconnect between government priority, which will be get money into the economy, you yes. know, try and stop recession, whatever. I'm not an economist. I can't even say the word. Economist. economist. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I don't know how it works. But, you know, a disconnect between that those aims and objectives and then like you say the people that actually live there you know the people that you know own the small pizzeria on the corner who don't really care if there's like a million people in venice on that particular Mm. day they're happy with just you know serving locals and having their own town back yeah dip into voluntourism that was quite an interesting topic oh okay yeah 
whether voluntourism is a scam really and it's i guess it kind of goes into a little bit into white saviorism complex as well where people go into africa for example and build a house or build a school but they only go for like two weeks they don't go from the start to the finish and afterwards to make sure the whole scale of the whole thing for like a year it says a year project they're not actually there for a year they're there for like two or three weeks and like don't help one bit and it's all purely ego-based done you know actually having an intern and giving them some something that they're going to get value from is really difficult mm. it takes a lot of time yeah to you know yeah and who's got building skills who have these kids have got building skills to go and actually do something i know yeah yeah, yeah exactly you know um, like it's fine if you go in the first two weeks or something and all you're doing is digging everyone can dig but when it comes to I suppose this is where it comes down to like what is the intent of the project is the intent of the project to genuinely build a school in which case should we not be sending say tradespeople over to teach you know to share their skills yeah, exactly. and to actually empower the people that live there to build their own school mm. or are you know is the intent of the project to get a load of 18 year old white kids money ah uh, i see you which know, then helps. Which does, yeah. Like, uh, are those schools genuinely being built? This is me being incredibly cynical now. Right, I got you. Yeah, yeah, Or yeah. not even to, like, pay, you know, put money into those villages. They're usually run by charities that are based in the UK, right? Mm. There's never local yeah. people yeah. who are looking after building their own school. True. Because they probably if you dug down, they probably wouldn't want the school in that place or they wouldn't need the school or they'd, they'd do it in their own way that works for their, you know, their town. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. If someone like, for example, Ukraine, when yeah. all the horrors were happening over there, like instantly someone like Red Cross or whoever would need help, right? Just to, you need to go over there and just like distribute, I don't know, food, water, healthcare. Mm. Would that help though? Because it is a short-term thing just because they need numbers, right? We need a hundred yeah, people think... to go and like deliver all this stuff because it's chaos at the minute. That would help, right? I think so. And I'm obviously, again, not the right person to necessarily talk about this, but yeah. I think when it's just what you need is just manpower and to get stuff done. Like you yeah. say, like say there's been a flood or something, you need to get everyone clean clothes or you need to get them water or you need to you know, get food on the ground. That's a basic need, and I think anyone can do it. But mm. when it comes to, say, we're talking about a flood or, like, an earthquake or something, and, and it's deci- the decision is, okay, we need to rebuild this town, it should yeah. be yeah. the people who live in that town who decide what the future of that town looks like, yeah. not me and you and the Red Cross yeah. who are doing it for egotistical, ba- you know, purposes that's when it becomes white saviorism right yes absolutely yeah and even when you're in the earthquake stage and you're just distributing like you know the food and the water the people leading that project should be people from that place Mm -hmm. because they're gonna know what people need yes like i remember i can't remember what it was i think it might have been something you know in the middle east like you know everyone was like getting aid for somewhere in the middle east and we were all sending tampons and it became, you know, someone was like, actually, people don't use them. Complete waste of time. Like what we need is like sanitary towels or yeah. what we need is, you know, this kind of thing or that kind of thing. It's just 
yeah, we don't need your, you know, whatever it is you're sending. Mm. And that's where it should always be coordinated by the people, not the people on the ground, the people who live there, the people that there's lives that yeah, you're right. service is impacting. Yeah, that's true. There is an, a good side of volunteerism in terms of if you're like a youngster or backpacker and you do a work away where you like work at a hostel for like two months just to do a bit of housekeeping or cooking or cleaning yeah. to get free accommodation, both sides get something out of it. That's a fair deal. Yeah. Yeah. We did a little bit of that when we were away. Mm. Something else I just thought about that I've not, I don't, again, I'm just talking a bit out of turn really because I don't know the details. It's just things I think about. But, you know, you get a lot of these like save, say for instance, save the rainforest projects or stuff and you can yeah. go out and you can volunteer on that. Mm. What are those people doing and what knowledge systems are they tapping into to get that done? Because, you know, say here in New Zealand, if we're looking at, at you know, restoring something or saving the native bush or whatever, what we should be looking is looking at indigenous Maori knowledge systems to make, to, to put that in place and make that happen. Mm. But also of those people, you know, a Maori, for instance, being paid fairly for that knowledge and that time, if a bunch of white students are going over to volunteer I, I don't know what I'm trying do, do you see what I'm trying to say mm, like mm. you know say it's Borneo rainforest yeah and everyone's like oh well I'm volunteering all of my time what are they doing there whose knowledge are they yeah. tapping into what knowledge mm. skills are they kind of you know taking and, and are those people being remunerated fairly for those skills and knowledge as well is it yeah. a fair deal and i'm a firm believer that i don't care what expert you say you are but born in rainforest for example and you're from the uk and you say you're, you're a rainforest expert i still don't believe you'd know the rainforest as good as someone who lives there yeah like, exactly oh yeah you need to tap into there. that knowledge rather than yeah you think exactly you know what's good. and i feel like you know a lot of you know, Western systems, we kind of look down on that. We're like, oh, yeah. no, you know, did you go to uni? Did you did you research? Did you have a paper, mm. you know, published? It's like, well, actually, these knowledge systems have been passed down for generations. And these people, like, live and breathe this rainforest. Yeah. And they know how to care for it. Yeah. You know, what What are we doing to, you know, to honour that knowledge? Yeah. And are we respecting it in the way that we should, given it's, you know, maybe 20, 18-year-olds who are over there because they're like orangutans? It's <laughs> <laughs> a bit of a tangent. I like that. Yeah, yeah. I see you going with that. And I totally agree. Yeah, not really in a place to add much to that, but the concept is right, what you're saying. You don't want a couple of lads from Reading going over there because they're like orangutans to, to help out when they've got a clue what, what's going on. But even in the guys instructing them, have they really got a clue? Yeah. And if they are, and they are tapping into local resources, are they fairly remunerated? Them correctly, yeah. Yeah. Okay, I feel like we've strongly covered cruise ships. That was a good one. Yeah. Okay. Can I ask you my feature that you didn't get asked last time? We'll yeah. finish with that. It's basically if you're going away tomorrow, I want to know what's in your backpack and what you listen to and watching on those like long bus rides or plane rides. So it's a bit like a bit of music, a bit of art, and a bit of Packing your bag, what's in there? Are you ready? Okay, where am I going? 
Oh, uh, oh, no one's ever asked me that before. Um, <laughs> okay, it's all right. No, I'll, I'll play. It's all six, right, I can play. Six month trip in East and Southeast Asia. Let's do that. Right, okay. Yeah. Okay. Hey, yeah. Just a quick one before we carry on with the travel questions. I just want to say there are many ways to support this podcast. You can buy me a coffee and help support the podcast with $5. Or you can go to my merch store with the affiliate link with TeePublic where there's plenty of merch available to buy, such as T-shirts, jumpers, hoodies, and also some children's clothing. Thirdly, which is free, you can also rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podchaser, or Good Pods. Also, you can find me on social media on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok. Simply just search for Winging It Travel Podcast, and you'll find me displaying all my social media content for traveling, podcasts, and other stuff. Thank you. It's travel question time. So my first question is, on your phone or Spotify or Apple, wherever you listen to for music, what are the three yeah. bands or artists that are absolutely guaranteed to be on there? Oh, okay. Agnes Sobel. Okay. Um, she's, I think she's Danish, but Dan- I really love her. Yeah. It's going to be a bit of a weird mix. Um, Mastodon. Wow. Massive Mastodon fan. Oh, yeah. Wow. So, yeah, Agnes Oval is like, you know, cellos and violins and stuff. And then I've got Mastodon. And then our oh, Faithless. Oh, yeah. What a mix that is. But I just think, you know, those three cover you for all situations. <laughs> Mastodon. Okay. Were you a Mastodon fan before, Aaron? No. No, thought not. Never heard of them. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. What about one film that would make it on the list to watch? Oh, it's going to be my favourite film, which is The Fountain. Oh, I've not seen that. It was a flop at the cinema. It's a bit of a cult classic. A bit like Donnie Darko, kind of. Okay. Thing. It's not like Donnie Darko, but um, it's directed by the same guy who did Requiem for a Dream. Okay. And like the wrestler and Black Swan. Very good. Okay. And what about a TV series? Succession. Oh, God. <laughs> Emma watches that and I can't stand it. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, that's what I want. I want oh, succession. God. Okay. And you get two for this next one. Okay. Two books. So one can be a classic and maybe a current book that you're reading right now. Um, the current book I'm reading at the moment is a New Zealand book uh, called Greta and Valden. Okay. The classic book I would take is The Goldfinch by Donna Tart. Okay. What about a podcast that's not my podcast? Desert Island Discs. Oh, yes. Yeah, someone said that every day. Yes, yeah, classic. <laughs> <laughs> okay someone else had already said it i really also love criminal oh okay which is a it's it's about crime it's not true crime podcast but it's about crime so they'll oh. talk about like different crimes that have been committed but they always has like a, a slightly different angle to it it's not like you know on true crime it's like so and so went out the door and they yeah got blah, blah blah yeah we all know that yeah. yeah it's not that it's you know ah. it's a different take on true crime Okay, interesting. Okay, we're now going to delve into your backpack. So what is yeah. the one piece of clothing that you must pack? Flip-flops. 
That's a good choice. That's number two for me, that flip-flops. Okay, and one snack from UK that you would just hide at the back. Am I allowed New Zealand snack? Oh, yeah. I just thought they wouldn't be as good, but yeah. No, I want a big bar of Whitakers. <laughs> Fair. I love Whitakers chocolate, yeah. Just a plastic, plain, normal one? Milk. Just plain, creamy milk. Yeah. I hear you. I absolutely hear you on that. Emma's like, oh, let's get the, the peanut. No, plain one. No. Okay. A generic one must-have item. Can't be a phone. Headphones. Yep. Okay. Get down to the last few. Would you ever take anything to remind you of home? Or New Zealand? No. <laughs> Nothing at all? <laughs> Nothing at all? Uh, no, I would. I would take, oh, what would I take to remind me of home or New Zealand? Pictures of my cat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Your four cats. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I'll take a family photo. <laughs> <laughs> Right, hey, and last question is, I don't know if you'll be into this, but one sporting top or jersey that you'd take? I'd take an all blacks. Oh, yeah? Have you got one? No, right. but I'd get one, especially for the trip. <laughs> for this trip that I've just created for you? Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay, yeah, okay. I'd take an all blacks. I carry an all blacks top with me, actually, in my backpack. Do you? Yeah, yeah. Like a, t- like, like a long sleeve jersey type thing or like a... No, short deep- sleeve. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I quite like the idea of like a big long sleeve one. I reckon it'll be good for like in hostels and stuff. Yeah, it's not bad. This is a proper like the actual rugby shirt of your blacks, like the one they wear on the pitch. Yeah, sometimes they do wear long sleeve ones, I think. Oh, do they? Oh wow. Oh, I might have made that up. I want a long sleeve one. I don't even know <laughs> if that's a thing. Okay. I want that. That's fair enough. Okay. Yeah. That concludes that feature. So we'll finish it there. Yay! Bit bit of winning. Okay. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me again. Any last thoughts before we sign off? No. No, fair enough. (laughs) And yeah, thanks for coming on. Cheers, bye. (laughs) Bye. Thank you for listening to my Winging It Travel podcast episode today. You can find me on Instagram at James Hammond Travel or Winging It Travel podcast. You can search for both. I release weekly clips of this podcast episode as well as photos from the last eight to ten years of my travels. You can also follow me on TikTok, Facebook and Pinterest by searching Winging It Travel Podcast. I do release daily content to do with travel and the podcast throughout the week. Also check out my website, jameshammond.org. There's content about myself, my travels, and there's also a newsletter sign up as well as a contact form. Finally, please rate and review the podcast on Podchaser. This is my platform of choice. Alternatively, you can rate this on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts from. This really helps the podcast gain a bit of traction for the future in terms of guests and content. And I'm glad to see that you guys are listening out there, reviewing it and enjoying the content so far. Stay safe, stay humble, keep listening, keep traveling and I'll catch you soon. Cheers, James.